Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website, that's carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcasts on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. Delighted today to have our special guest, Deirdre Garvey, from The Wheel for our first podcast for 2020. I'm sure most people know about The Wheel. Could you describe what The Wheel does and what's the role of The Wheel in the non-profit sector? Thank you very much for inviting me into your podcast series. So The Wheel is... Ireland's National Association of Community Organisations, Voluntary Groups, Charities and Social Enterprises. We ourselves are a registered charity and our job is to help all of the charities and community groups and social enterprises, no matter how large they are or where they operate or what field they create their impact in. Our job is to support them to positive social change and make an ever bigger and ever better impact. Quite a job, a role, description there, all right. I'd be interested to just get your own background. How did you end up in the wheel and what attracted you to, to the non-profit sector? Like very many people who end up in our sector, it was a complete accident and it was not something that I'd ever planned to do in terms of my career. I was the kind of person that didn't really have much of a plan. Uh, I left school in the early 1980s and because I was good at maths and physics and subjects like that, I found myself naturally gravitating towards science. So I did a science degree in experimental physics in University College Dublin and graduated in the mid-80s. At that stage, there were very little jobs of any description in Ireland. And I ended up working for most of my 20s in Germany. And I found myself also in my spare time in those years in Munich, part of a volunteer um, theatre group, drama group. Acting on the stage might not have been actually my best skill in the world. But I found that collective endeavour, the passion of putting on a show, the creative element of working together to do something that other people would enjoy. I hadn't realised it at the time, but it made inroads in terms of what I wanted to do. And when I came back to Ireland, in just when I was 30, I returned to Ireland and I had one decision made, which was whatever else I would do, I would not continue my career in electronic engineering. I ended up getting a really, really lucky break, as I think many people often do when they change their careers, is that I was hired in the startup fundraising team of Barrettstown and I was there for five years. I learned my craft, if you'd like to put it like that. One of the people on my board of directors, or on Barrettstown's board of directors, was an impressive individual, Dr Mary Redmond, and she uh, had this idea of the wheel as a concept, as a network of everybody in the sector, no matter what differences that they might have in scope or scale or working in disability or working in youth or working in uh, overseas development aid or trying to address issues of poverty or equality or civil liberties, no matter what those different issues or organisations were, the common things they all had together were, and still are, that every single one of those organisations is run by a volunteer board of management or volunteer committee. Every single one of those organisations is dedicated to the public benefit. And six months later, a job ad went in the paper for the CEO of The Wheel, which was like the first staff member. Everything, in one sense, changed for me professionally and indeed personally. And I'm now looking 
in October in 2020, I will be 20 years employed. 20 years at the heart of the sector in terms of providing support, advice, guidance, looking at the challenges and the opportunities. Moving it to so this year and then 20, and again, every year is a year of change and a year of opportunity, but there's a particular backdrop to this year. Um, what do you see uh, some of the biggest challenges and opportunities in 2020 for charities and non-profits? It's funny, in one sense, 20 years later, sometimes the problems that, that we were seeking to address 20 years ago are still challenges that still need addressing. So in that sense, a lot of the challenges seem to be similar in terms of there's always people in need. There seems to be always a certain level of inequality in this country that we're some charities form that safety net and there are always people who have particular challenges either because of particular disability or because of a particular exclusion in society because of maybe a sexual orientation or because of the colour of their skin. There are always in one sense challenges facing society so in, in that sense the challenges will sometimes be, 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 be the same. That said for those people that do work together in clubs and associations and charities and community groups, quite often there are such a myriad of terminologies to describe these organisations. 2020 is shaping up to be a really potentially significant year. Number one, we have a general election coming up, but we see in the wheel a real opportunity for the party manifestos and for the programme of government to take advantage of these opportunities that I'm just now going to, to talk about. One, after... 18 years of lobbying by the wheel. 2019 saw three different policies and strategies that will, if implemented, radically reshape and help and support the community voluntary charity sector. Now, those three strategies and policies are soon to be joined by a fourth one on volunteering in the first half of this year. So while we might say it's a pity the good intentions are split into four policy documents and perhaps one integrated document with four different sort of sections would have been our ideal. And in the last election, we were delighted to be successful in our lobbying to see a commitment in the programme for government of the outgoing government that they would create a strategy to support the voluntary sector. But be that as it may, we have a strategy to support, a policy to support volunteering from the Department of Rural Community Development. In the same department, we have a five-year strategy to support the community and voluntary sector. Over in the Department of Health, we have an implementation group uh, looking at implementing a report that was published last year on the role of voluntary organisations in delivering public services that are publicly funded through the Department of Health and the HSE. And as I said, we have this fourth one coming on volunteering. What do all of these strategies have in common and where are the opportunities? All of them have significant potential to direct a coherent, strategic investment in skills and capacity building within community and voluntary organisations for the paid staff or indeed for the volunteers of which there are hundreds of thousands of volunteers as I said all charities and community groups are governed by volunteer board of directors and we have 65,000 plus of those at least uh, volunteering to run our organisations and they too require many skills and uh, upgrading of skills because of the expectations and requirements, quite rightfully, that, that are on charities these days. So the, 
The, the four strategies, we hope, will bring a focus on a coherent investment in building skills so that charities can operate to the levels of professionalism and accountability that is now rightfully required. Equally at the volunteering level, there is an enormous willingness to volunteer across all walks of Irish life, not just charities, sporting organisations, indeed political organisations and arts organisations. There is a great capacity there and a great need for not professionalising volunteering in the sense of paying them, in that sense of the word professionalising, but helping to recruit volunteers that are well-trained and well-supported with good quality volunteering experiences and adapting to the needs of a changing volunteer base that, that don't necessarily want to sit on a committee or don't necessarily want to get tied in for 20 or 30 years. Another key opportunity, which opportunities are always the reverse of challenges, so I will speak in the positive sense. Um, so the opportunity is there to fix the challenge, which is the issue of funding. One of the challenges facing people working in community and voluntary organisations, they will always say the first three challenges will be funding. We are under-resourced, we are underfunded. Whether that they, Whether that be fundraising directly from the public, whether that be maybe charging for their service in a social enterprise model, or whether that be in a grant relationship from the government or from the state to deliver a particular service on behalf of the state. Voluntary organisations will always tell you that they are underfunded. So in one sense, I'm going to put that aside and talk about the type of funding that is given to voluntary organisations. For organisations that are funded by the government and by the state to deliver a public service, we quite often don't know what the level of money we're getting in any given year is until April, in the middle of the year. So it makes it impossible for people to plan quality controls. It makes it impossible for people to plan any kind of a budget. No organisation in the private sector would get into April in a particular year without having some sense of what its budget is for the year. So that's quite unsustainable in terms of quality and development and ensuring good practice. So we call that multi-annual funding. So across all three of these reports and strategies is a call to address the model of funding, making it multi-annual, the way that funding is given, as in funding should really cover all of the hidden costs. Sometimes they get called overhead in a negative way, but I'm going to stand up for the word overheads. Um, I think overheads are a good thing in the sense of I want my charity that I support to have proper oversight. I want them to spend money in quality control. I want them to spend money on making sure that the checks and balances are in there so that if there is anything bad happening in a charity like any organisation that it can be caught. Those things take money. You have to pay someone to do the books. You have to pay someone to manage your risks. You might have to have a director of finance. So these things are quite often called overheads or administration in a pejorative sense. But I call them quality assurance costs that are very much part of the cost of delivering a quality public service of any kind to the public. So the model and the type of funding and the way it's given out, whether it's competitive through commissioning e-tenders, competing against the private sector, or whether it is in a grant relationship, these are all significant issues that require addressing. They don't necessarily require additional money, and that is a key thing. Additional money will always be put to very good use in charity. So that is the second, I guess, cross-cutting theme across all of these organisations. And the third thing would be very much 
the understanding that we need to have a better appreciation of the role that charities and community organisations play in our society, not just across the different arms of government, but also into the public. And I think there has been an under-appreciation of what it is to be a charity. And sometimes the word itself, charity, isn't helpful because I think the public, quite rightly, and before I started working in a charity, my, my interpretation of charity was that, oh, they're the people who do the fundraising on, on the streets, or they're the people that I hear the appeal of, you know, and I can rattle off those household names. Um, whereas they mightn't realise that their local link bus service in a rural area actually has charitable status. They mightn't realise that their community coffee shop that is holding the social fabric of a very isolated community group together is actually a registered charity. They mightn't realise that the place where they get their physiotherapy service from or their rehab service from is, is actually a charity. So I think we need to have a sort of a more broader understanding of the role of charities in Irish society and I think that would benefit the public in terms of understanding the complexity of running organisations like ours in the 21st century and I think it would also help people understand the wonderful examples for example that have nothing to do with service delivery that we've just spoken about because quite often I think charities can be seen as oh they just deliver service But think about the two referendums that have changed Ireland massively in the last five years. The marriage equality referendum four or five years ago and the campaign to repeal the 8th. And uh, I know these issues were were sensitive and there was differing views. Uh, I, for one, believe that Ireland has changed massively better as a consequence of the results and the outcome. But those groups are civil society organisations. They are registered charities. And, um, And that might come as a surprise to some members of the public to understand that those groups sit in the same space as the, you know, the, the John of Gods or Michael's House or the Irish Cancer Society. So I think a campaign that would be public-facing but also across departments so that a dialogue and a, a partnership working with all parts of government that interact with our sector and indeed a communications campaign with the public would really help to understand that charities are not the same as the private sector. Charities are more similar to the public sector because we are by law required, by definition. We act in the public benefit. None of us can make a private gain. None of us. And lest anybody think that drawing a salary is the equivalent of a private gain, I might hasten to add that in in what world would an exchange of eight hours work for an hourly wage be deemed as, you know, profit? And I think certainly in the private sector or in the public sector, the concept of working for eight hours and not getting paid for it or being expected to do it for nothing would be a joke. So so just because I or other people might earn a salary for the work that I do, that doesn't mean that that's a private gain, that's an exchange of labour for salary. So what I mean by private gain is that there's no owners of our char- of our organisations, there's no shareholders, nobody's making a massive profit. We must do good for the public. And I guess they would be the three issues that I see all of these strategies having a massive potential to address if they are implemented with good intention by the incoming government, no matter what hue or multiple hues it has. That's a very interesting point because it's great to see all the strategies being developed um, 
and provides a, a policy framework for which we, we can work together um, in the sector and with, with government. But a concern that many of us would have, and I want to ask you about, because I know Wheeler very actively in your manifesto, is the fear that we would have that yet again, after a new government is formed, they will break up the department, that they will move the responsibility for the community um, voluntary sector and charities to another entity. When we've seen it, we've had Craga, we've had the Charity Sector going to the Department of Environment, and it was split between environment and justice. And we're beginning just to see quite a bit of intellectual capital develop within the Department of Community Rural Development. And a worry we would have is that gets broken up again, and we're back to square one, trying to get important strategies implemented, trying to have a dialogue with government officials and, and with politicians where you've got a sort of a catch-up on their side because they've, 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 they've moved the deck chairs around a bit. So have you got any sense of a uh, commitment from the main parties to where they see, they see the future of the department? Well, at time of recording, we know that both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are publishing their manifestos. So in terms of me being able to say, have we got a commitment In writing, no, and I will be expecting that that commitment will appear in these manifestos because we've had verbal commitments from all of the main parties that a strategy and a policy for the community and voluntary sector is high on their list. And indeed, in the last election, we were successful in lobbying. We were successful in securing strategies and policies of varying hues and varying levels of depth in the main party manifestos. We were then successful in securing a department for the sector in the programme for government. And that was a new development because up until that time, it had been hidden, as you say, over in the Department of the Environment. So we were very pleased that we had been successful at securing that department, which is now the Rural and Community Development. But as you say, it's taken four years to build up a significantly, A, a new department takes a while to build up, and then the, the capital that has really, and, and the experience, and we've now got these strategies, it would be terrible, terrible regressive move if the department disappeared, it, it really, really would. So certainly from the wheels perspective, on your behalf and on the sector's behalf, that is a really strong requirement uh, of ours. In one sense, we have, we have a manifesto. There are four main policy asks in it. And underneath that, we have basically a further 18, in one sense, sub-asks. For me, if you don't have a senior minister with the portfolio, prominent portfolio, with the word communities and or charities and or voluntary sector in the title of the department with a senior minister, if we don't have that, I would be very disappointed. So certainly for our part, that would be one that we would be holding very, very strongly to. And in fairness... We have got a very good hearing from from the political parties and we have really ramped up our campaigning this year as an organisation, but particularly with our members' involvement. We've, We've put our members first and foremost and it's a very powerful ask. And I guess when when listeners are listening to this in a few weeks' time, uh, we will know whether uh, it's successful. And to be perfectly honest, you can run all the campaigns you want. You can have the fancy glosses, you know, that we have for the first time. Uh, we will look at the manifestos. We will demand 
a senior minister in the programme for government and that's where the output is it's what's in the programme for government and we will be striving very good and, and we wish you every success because it is critical for the sector um, that we do have as you say a strong minister and, and a coherent department um, we mentioned earlier that this is a significant year for, for the wheel in terms of you're celebrating 20 what's coming down the tracks for the wheel in terms of your strategic focus for the coming few years I guess one of the things as an organisation with 1,700 members and growing, we have a strategy refresh that our board has decided to do a little bit early, to be perfectly honest. Our current strategy doesn't run out until next year. But because of the rapidly changing landscape, these strategies in this election have the potential to change everything. We see huge opportunities. There are massive, I guess, pinch points of pain. And I didn't mention issues like the cost of insurance, issues like retaining Attracting and retaining staff are a significant challenge for community and voluntary organisations. And coupled with all of the strategies that are out there, I guess our board and and myself really feel that we can't afford as an organisation to wait until the calendar tells us it's time to do a new strategy. So our board just last month has decided to do a fast track in terms of a strategy refresh so that we can be nimbly responding to the opportunities and the challenges that the rapidly changing environment. We must capitalise on that sooner rather than later. That is exactly what our members require of us and that is what we must do as a, the voice and the champion you know, of the sector. So what does that mean? It means that we're in a growth phase. We have 1,700 members. We're targeting 1,900 members by the end of this year. They are spread all across the community and voluntary and charity sector. So what we're doing is rolling out as an organisation. We're sort of turning ourselves inside out instead of doing things for our members. When one sense we're putting our members on the spot, setting up these continuing to set up, but really empowering through having locally positioned staff around the country to support members coming together in chapters around networks around specific themes so that they can be the ones being the spokespeople and not myself or people actually paid and employed in the wheel office. So that, I guess, turning our organisation inside out and making the members drive the articulation and, and, and drive us, that is a particular focus for moving the dial on that relationship with our members. That is a particular organisational focus. We also have an additional organisational focus for the next few years on that skills agenda and that human resources and that making the charities be a legitimate, exciting, professional challenge for the most talented people in Ireland, whether they leave school after the junior cycle or leave school after the senior cycle or indeed go to university and go into professional work at that point. We believe that for a professional career with purpose, with fulfilment, for people to see and to dive into on purpose, rather than to end up in our sector by accident, which is where a lot of us end up. And the third, I guess, organisational growth area for us is very much involved in the EU space. In terms of, we have a whole new commission, we have a new European programme for the next seven years and we have the fairly disaster of Brexit. Now notwithstanding the incredibly positive success on the political side in terms of the agreement that has been struck, we will not have a hard border and that is good. But communities will be negatively impacted by Brexit. There is no good Brexit for Ireland. So there is a significant 
programme of work connected with Brexit, but also connected with European funding and helping organisations who no longer have partners that are English-speaking in nature to take advantage of European programmes of a, of a wide variety. Now, that might be fairly niche for some organisations who might be very small, saying, oh, I could never apply for a European grant. But we have proven through a pilot programme for the last three years that no matter how small you are, there's models of working in consortiums and groups where really tiny organisations don't have to carry the burden. So, so that is a sort of a growth area for us. And all of that coupled on top of the regular training, capacity building, help desk and the lobbying work about implementing those strategies, which I guess you could call our bread and butter. Just one final question. What would be your, and I'm sure it'll be a fairly long list, but if, what would be your top three wishes for the charity sector in 2020? We need a standard reporting template for activity and financial reporting for charities. It's called SORP, Statement of Recommended Practice. All charities in the UK are required to report against this and it gives like-for-like like comparison possibilities and full transparency into charities in the UK. About 7 or 8% of charities in Ireland voluntarily apply this standard, as does Carmichael and the Wheel, I know. And we know that the charity regulator wants to bring this standard in. There's a technical piece of legislation that has to pass first. Charities and the Wheel and Carmichael and many others have been calling for 15 years for this financial reporting standard to be brought in. Now that we have a regulator for five years, we believe it is way over time for this SORP standard to be brought in. It is absolutely imperative until we can compare like with like, until the public can compare like with like, until the public can see into the innards of charities, we will always have a slight question mark as to how the money is spent. I think this year, again, the issue of insurance and bringing down insurance is a really, really practical thing. There is a judicial bill that has been passed. The Wheel is a member and a board member of the Alliance for Insurance Reform. It affects all sectors, not just charities, but it is particularly acute in charities. And they are closing and they are stopping services already. That needs to be addressed and insurance prices need to be brought down. And then the third thing that would really, really help is that we have a new standard for governance, a governance code, and we have a mandatory reporting on that for charities from next year onwards. And we know that the charity regulator is helping trustees and rolling out training so that trustees can be equipped to hold their organisations to the right standard. We know that a thousand trustees will be trained this year, courtesy of the charity regulator, and that is really, really welcome. But there is 60,000 trustees and there is significant investment in that skills and capacity building needed to help charities address the rightful high standards of professionalism. So they are like three, I guess, quite pragmatic and quite real wishes that I'd love to be sitting here in 12 months' time saying... We've licked that. Thank you very much, Deirdre, for sharing your insights and uh, your wide, wide span of what's happening in the sector and the challenges and, and, and as you said, more the t- opportunities that are there. It is going to be a very interesting year on a number of fronts. And as you, you said, in your last three wishes were really practical things that if we saw movement on that, it, it would be helped.
to transform the sector. And here's wishing whatever the government has formed that they listen and take action and, uh, and follow through on their promises that they will have a strong department for the community and voluntary and charitable sector in the future. Thank you, Deirdre. Thank you very much, David. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofold.